today is Father's Day, and I don't know about the rest of you, but it's an interesting concept for me. Um, it's a day for honoring the person who, in some idealized version, sired you, loved you, loved your mother, uh, provided your material needs, taught you whatever skill he had learned from his father. And some of you perhaps are fathers. Most of us have had fathers. We all know that no father lives up to the ideal all the time. It is said that we are all wounded at some point by our fathers, by our mothers, by our teachers. We're all wounded. Most of us have some pleasant associations with our parents, our teachers, our elders. But most of us also find our relationships are complicated. The things that happen to us as children leave marks. Those things shape our attitudes and our actions. The way we speak, the way we think. And those attitudes and actions shape more choices, more marks. And these things shape our personalities. Something my father gave me was a reverence for the English language. Proper grammatical construction was the preferred mode of communication in our family. And we were encouraged to use the proper word. Even if it was a seven syllable word, we would find the proper word for what we were trying to communicate. That education leaves a mark. One aspect of that mark is called dualism. Dogen has a thing to say about that. If the slightest dualistic thinking arises, you will lose your Buddha mind. For example, some people are proud of their understanding and think that they are richly endowed with the Buddha's wisdom. They think that they have attained the way, illuminated their minds and gained the power to touch the heavens. They imagine they are wandering about in the realm of enlightenment. But in fact, they have almost lost the absolute way, which is beyond enlightenment itself. So he's not trying to talk about my obsession with grammar. 
is talking about dualism and the way it affects our spiritual life. But dualism is dualism and it's a trap, it's a mark. Another thing about my dad is that he was an alcoholic and socially awkward. That also left a mark on me. It expressed itself in embarrassment and anger, frustration. There's a story we tell. Maybe it's a Zen story, I'm not sure. I couldn't find a reference to it in literature. It's just a thing that's been handed down to me. And so I hand it down to you. So a person, a traveler, is on a long journey with a large sack flung over a shoulder. The bag is full of fish. So as they travel along, the fish get very stinky and the bag seems very heavy. Occasionally, they manage to take one or more of the fish out and continue on the journey a little bit lighter and a little less smelly. Over a long period of time, discarding fish one at a time along the route, they manage to empty the bag and then actually have an opportunity to wash the bag. The smell mostly goes away, but the bag always shows stains in the shape of whatever fish had resided in that bag along the way. It always shows the stains in the shape of those particular fish that were once there. Now, maybe that's a silly story, but I think it is useful for us as practitioners. Sometimes we want to become saints. We want to be angels. We want to rise above this earthly form and be ethereal and pure and perfect. But we do change. Our practice changes us over time. And perhaps we can approach a lighter, cleaner state of being. Sometimes it's so slow, we only notice in retrospect. Sometimes it's sudden. You can almost feel it break. I had an incident like that with my father. I'd been in the monastery for some years and would come up periodically to, um, this was in Northern California and I would come up to Portland where my parents lived. And we'd go out to dinner somewhere. 
and my father, being who he was, started with a martini or two, got into the wine. And as he got more alcohol, he got louder. He would was flirting with the waitress. He was drawing attention from other tables. And as time went on during this dinner, I could feel the heat rising. I was getting angry. I was getting embarrassed. I was getting frustrated. I was wishing I could stuff something in his mouth to make him shut up. And at one of these dinners, oh, and another level of this is I was embarrassed for myself for feeling anger because I was supposed to be a monk. I'm not supposed to be feeling this anger. I'm supposed to be above all that. So at one of these dinners, there was this quick. I suddenly felt new understood, I'm not responsible for him. Do I need to speak up? Okay, I can do that. So I suddenly realized I am not responsible for him. I am not the parent here. He is not my child. Maybe that's obvious but it wasn't obvious to me until then. Immediate ease, relaxation, cooling, release. Nothing in that situation had changed. The externals were still there and he was still loud. He was still drunk. But my attitude had changed. I had dropped something. I had taken a piece of fish out of my bag and I felt the release. <laughs> and what I was releasing are my rigid ideas about what is correct. Both correct in his behavior and in mine holding myself up to a rigid standard of what things are supposed to be was a smelly piece of fish. Meditation. It's magical and transformative. Its workings are done in the dark undoing knots that we cannot reason our way out of. Knots of desire, knots of repulsion, knots of fear, confusion. As the tension of these knots relax, we sometimes get insight, sometimes memories, sometimes bliss. As we face the things revealed, we are poised to let go of yet another knot, another stinking fish. 
One of mine was the idea that I could fix my dad or that I should fix my dad. One was that I had to speak correctly to communicate. And the other piece of that is that I had this idea that I should be correcting people in their speech, in their communication. You know how well that goes over. So my fish bag is still stained with these marks. I am still marked by that upbringing, by those experiences. Shadows. Ideas of correctness, of perfection. My liberation comes about when I convert to the activity of bending and accepting. Accepting my own imperfection. Allowing others to be imperfect. Bending when my mind gets in the way. Rigidity, paralysis, arrogance. Those are the beasts that eat my soul. Bending undermines those beasts. If my talk has any kind of a point at all, it's the hope that as practitioners, you accept your humanity as a part of your Buddhist practice, not as antithesis to your Buddhist practice, but as integral to your Buddhist practice. You are a human being. Accept your karmic baggage as the work of this life. And perhaps be joyous that it is possible to let go of any of those onerous burdens. But it's also don't let yourself be burdened by the marks that are left. Your perfection is not ethereal. It is not out of this world. It exists where you sit. Your personality is in those marks. Your individuality. And that is the form and the figure of your perfection. I want to end with another thing from Dogen. The true way of expressing gratitude is not to be found in anything other than our daily Buddhist practice itself. 
That is to say, we should practice selflessly esteeming each day of life. Time flies faster than an arrow. Life is more transient than the dew. No matter how skillful you may be, it is impossible to bring back even a single day of the past. To have lived to be a hundred years old to no purpose is to eat of the bitter fruit of time, to become a pitiable bag of bones. Even though you have allowed yourself to be a slave to your senses for a hundred years, if you give yourself over to Buddhist training for even one day, you will gain a hundred years of life in this world as well as the next. Each day's life should be esteemed. The body should be respected. It is through our body and mind that we are able to practice the way. It is why they should be loved and respected. I would throw in here, it is the particular body that you live in, the particular life that you live, the particular mind that guides your thoughts and actions, that particularity is the means by which you practice the way. It is through our body and mind that we are able to practice the way. This is why they should be loved and respected. It is through our own practice that the practice of the various Buddhas appears and their great way reaches us. Therefore, each day of our practice is the same as theirs, the seed of realizing Buddhahood. All the various Buddhas are none other than Buddha Shakyamuni himself. The Buddha Shakyamuni is nothing other than the fact that the mind itself is the Buddha. When the Buddhas of the past, present and future realize enlightenment, they never fail to become the Buddha Shakyamuni. This is the meaning of the mind itself being the Buddha. Study this question carefully. For it is in this way that you can express your gratitude to the Buddha.